Got a bad bitch on me. What? What? Got a bad bitch on me. She D T F. She tell me she D T F. I heard she D T F. What? And you ain't hanging with the team if you ain't down to fuck. Okay. Well, low on my back. Welcome to DTF, the Daryl to Marie Fun Hour, the world's greatest sex education comedy game show, sometimes podcast, currently podcast in the known universe. Hello, I am your resident sexuality educator, Dr. Timory. And I am your resident other person, Daryl Charles. Yay, we're Yay. back. We're back, baby. And we have yeah. a special guest. Yes, yes, we do. We're so excited. Uh, we have Patricia Morenci, who is a clinical social worker and sexologist and also author. And we're going to be talking about that. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, this is also, so we were talking about, before we started recording, this is our first time meeting and it's still not in real life but we've been like following each other on the internet for a long time yeah just stalking your socials for two years <laughs> yeah we're just doing sex stuff at each other yeah this is how <laughs> friendships are made in the new millennia yeah. yeah you see each other's butts before you see each other in in person <laughs> I, I, it, it screams consent uh i like that that's a, <laughs> yeah that's a great point all right well uh we're going to just get right back into it because we are we are back on the grind for those who've been listening for a long time the show has been going for almost 10 years True. um and we took a little hiatus because the yes. world came back and capitalism wouldn't let us relent right but we're back but hey we're, we're back we're doing stuff. it thank you so much uh for listening for sticking with us uh hey guess what? another new thing you can uh, email us at uh, dt fun hour at gmail.com with uh, thoughts, feelings, questions, uh, you know, text, pictures of your butts. We we are we are taking all comers. Yeah, you can send compliments, but um, please. That's yeah. <laughs> like, please. Uh, yeah. All right. A compliment along with your butt. Yeah, that is a compliment. That's a good. Great. One. Good combo. Yeah. All right. So we are going to hop right in to our first regular segment, which is. The fucking news. It's news about fucking. It's true. Um, so the first thing that we're going to talk about is the New York Times. Um, uh, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna acknowledge that I'm a subscriber, and uh, that is because I do want to pay for my news. But yeah. it is a, it is a complicated thing to do because the New York Times has not been doing really great in terms of the representation of trans issues. And recently, there was a big uh, public letter that included a bunch of the contributors to the New York Times. There's also been um, letters from GLAAD, the Gay and Lesbian Anti-Defamation Organization. And uh, they're basically just being like, this is not a two sides issue. And in right. fact, a lot of the coverage that the New York Times has been doing has been intentionally obfuscating uh, some of the scientific information about gender affirming things and is leaving out facts about who is pushing for legislation that a lot of the people who are trying to prevent uh, access to gender affirming treatments for kids are actually from like hate groups. They are not like scientific organizations. So uh, what do y'all think about all that? I hear you. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's um, a part of the whole both sides of the news, right? And that's a big, wonderful compliment. Um, not wonderful compliment, but a, a big part of the discourse is that it's there. It's not just that there are two sides. It's that science says something that seems to be trans affirming. And uh, the people who disagree with that tend to disregard the science that they don't agree with. And that's not a fair uh, argument. No, not at all. I mean, I just... I mean, it's it's weird. I feel like there's nothing that shocks me anymore, unfortunately. I mean, I wanted better from the New York Times, but I also think about other instances where there wasn't good representation or them just think about like just how they talked about Haiti and how, you know, um, it's by white authors trying to portray Haiti as a certain way. Um, and so I feel like this isn't new, unfortunately. Right. But I also think that you're right. Like, what is the, you know, you try to do neutral, you try to do both sides, but then when it comes to things that are factually incorrect, I think that's important mm -hmm. to highlight as well. So what is your agenda? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and the letters also provided context for the ways in which the New York Times has been bad on other sexual issues. Like, for instance, the way they covered homosexuality 
in like the 60s and 70s. And looking back, it's incredibly cringe because it's like so obviously bigoted. Uh, but at the time, they're acting as though they're trying to be neutral. And it's like to be neutral on a social justice issue is not actually to be neutral. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's it's siding with the oppressor. Was it? That's a um, is that a Dr. King quote? Somebody's quote. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like like those who are neutral in the side of injustice are siding with the oppressor. And you know, it's it's actually kind of funny. The Baltimore Sun just released this, uh, you know, a letter apologizing for its part in the systematic, um, you know, uh, disenfranchisement of Black people. Uh, I just read it this morning and I saw somebody tweet like, who is this for exactly? It's like, it's for the people who, who don't trust the news source, right? Uh, it's, 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 you know, they can make all the promises and declarations that they want to. And we've talked about on the show before how to properly apologize and mm. that's a different conversation. But, uh, you know, the, the NYT letter really does a good job of laying out how what the times is doing with this particular debate is bad end of sentence <laughs> right like like explicitly like you you know uh, people who have machinations happening around it they are just presenting as an independent thought person right and and, and yeah a lot of that stuff so it's important because th- what's going to happen is uh people are not going to trust the times and you have the people who are contributing to the times publicly saying this is not a trustworthy organization. So at the very least it's in the public record. Right. Yeah. And they also like didn't renew the contract of a trans writer um, recently, which is, I mean, that happens in freelance writing, but it, right. it just, it sort of adds to it. Like, you know, to, to go back to your point about the coverage of Haiti, like you should probably have people who have, cultural context like reporting on it you know like if it's in a country if it's a part of a culture you should definitely have some of the contributors have some degree of lived experience that they can conceptualize where things are um and help help people understand it in that reference as opposed to just this thing in a vacuum because like that i mean that's basically the whole uh anti-trans argument is like in a vacuum it's like you you like are worried about the state of kids, right? Yeah, like everybody's worried about kids. Everyone sure. wants kids to be safe and happy and healthy and and nobody wants anyone to have unnecessary surgeries. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> like you have to understand the context of it. And the context is science has lots of evidence that gender affirming surgeries, um, and, and first of all, it's a just, just clarify any misconceptions. Minors are not having surgeries that are gender affirming. I'd, right. I'd, and most minors are tending to get maybe some hormone therapy, but nothing that is irreversible. Mm-hmm. And what we see time and time again is the evidence shows that when kids are affirmed and they are able to, within the context of having a therapist and a medical doctor, and this is not just happening one afternoon, this is a part of a, a, a treatment plan, that they are less likely to have suicidal ideation, less likely to be depressed. And we're not trying to make kids make choices they can't go back from we're trying to keep kids alive so suicide prevention you know that's how we frame it we frame it as suicide prevention and i think that the fear uh, of the other side the conservative side is driving it it's like kind of the loud voices are speaking out of fear and that's kind of swaying the conversation as opposed to looking at the facts looking at the science which is unfortunate yeah so new york times we are hoping that you will listen to that letter and you will take it into consideration because wordle will not be enough to keep us there that's also true and you know since the nyt letter came out uh, the times did have a reply which was terrible (laughs) so so there's that uh you know hopes and wishes i did uh full disclosure i stopped my new york times subscription but not uh i for some uh ideology it's because uh they changed the price on me and i was like yeah i'm good <laughs> so i mean also you know solidarity but uh capitalism baby um i don't know what to tell you i can't pay 20 bucks a month anyway uh, oh gosh no it's no. it's like what for real like with the introductory price being like a dollar yeah you know. what yeah well, it was, yeah yeah, that's how they do it. And, that's you know, hey, everybody, mind your recurring bills. Uh, when I saw the numbers were up, I tried to go on the app. They were like, it is what it is, buddy. 
And I was like, cool. Guess I'm going to 12foot.io uh, to read the rest of my things. What you going to do? I don't know what that is. What is that? 12 foot ladder. I, I, it, it kind of works. But what it does is it, um, you look it up. It's a way to get over these firewalls. Oh, yeah. and, uh, allegedly. Uh, the, okay. the thought behind it is uh, Google can't get through firewalls when it does its web crawling. So what these websites have done is they give the information free to Google so that they can put put it in the search results. And so what that website does is it finds the Google cached page for an article. Oh, all right. Which is being presented on the internet. Look at look at how helpful this episode has already been. Huh? <laughs> we're actually we're changing the world. All yeah. right. Well, on, that, on that note, are you ready to go to our next piece of fucking news? Mm-hmm. All right, let's get the other serious shit out of the way. And let's talk about the <laughs> fact that um, there was a case brought, as is the history of trying to infringe on abortion rights, it is a death by a thousand paper cuts going in through bureaucratic means. And so a case was brought up in Amarillo, Texas, of all places, uh, very specifically, so that a Trump judge, a Trump installed judge, would be presiding over a case about the way that the abortion drug RU486 went through FDA approval process. And, mm-hmm. okay, sorry. And, and it's like, it's in Texas, but it's like in Indiana or something. It's like an Indiana case in Texas. Yeah. It's a very, con- like the more you figure out it's convoluted, the more you're like, oh, these people are doing it in bad faith. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry but for interrupting. Despite the fact that it's like in, in Amarillo, if, if this goes the way that they want it to, this will mean that the most common abortion drug that is used by people across the country, the one that is most available if you are not anywhere near a, uh, a clinic, and the one that's only really useful up until about 10 weeks anyway, so we're not talking about like any, uh, any late term, I'm using air quotes violently, <laughs> term abortion. Uh, it is just an incredibly important uh, piece of medicine that would not be available to anyone in the U.S. because they'd have to go back to uh, restart like the FDA approval process, which, as we know, is just like incredibly slow. So this is just, again, another huge infringement on abortion access that possibly is even bigger than the Dobbs decision. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this is like, I don't know, the fourth or fifth time I've heard of some random ass judge in Texas, like blocking something. And I'm just like, and the fact that it has an impact on like the nation, you know what I mean? Like, it just makes me think about the way the system's set up. And obviously, you know, I think about these things, but this is another thing I have to think about. I mean, right now I live in Arkansas, which is near Texas, but I mean, think about if you just live in Philly or Jersey or something like that, that some random tiny ass town <laughs> has an impact on your health and reproductive rights. Yeah. And it's part of a, I don't want to, you know, go too far with this, but it's part of a concerted effort by people who cannot get the votes to change the laws in ways that uh, disenfranchise the vast majority of voters. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, you know, they, they can't win. They haven't won a, a national election in how long uh, if you just go by the votes. And so what they do is they uh, instantiate this stuff in the legislature and then appoint a bunch of judges so that the judiciary can be uh, not representative of the people. And here's another, I mean, you know, and here's another long shot, right? This is a drug that was approved in the year 2000. And so there's been 23 years of safe and effective use. And they are bringing up one issue where one person had a bad reaction to the medicine to say that it should never have been approved. And if this was, if you could just shake dice and get a truly random judge, this wouldn't even matter. But mm-hmm. the people who are filing it know exactly who they are getting, and they got a Trump appointee. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what puppet the GOP would have put into the office, but it just so happens to be the guy who took tried to take away society. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it reminds me of I think the concept of regressive minority. Yeah. Nosikis talks about that, right? That it's very intentional, you know, and they go through all these steps and it seems like the smallest people are having the loudest voice. An outsized impact, which you would think, you know, anybody who's in a civics class uh, can remember the term um, 
was it balance of power Oh, checks and balances. Checks and balances. Yep. There you go. Yeah. It used to be at one point where I like had faith in the judiciary because I was like, I mean, because any sort of shenanigans can happen with elections, right? But then I like had, I grew up with this illusion mm-hmm. that judges had some sort of like balance ideologically. And I don't know where I got that idea. And I think it was just because like the judiciary had done some really amazing things. Like some of the huge leaps forward in civil rights issues have been because of like the Supreme Court. And so Mm -hmm. I think I just had this like idea that it had this capacity to genuinely check and balance like the dumb idiots uh, who would vote against everyone's interests. And it's like, we we have all of this uh, public survey data that people in America believe that abortion should be available in most cases, if not all. And this is like, who is this for? And like now that Dobbs has been overturned, like literally what are Republicans going to run on other than racism? Like, <laughs> like well, what they, do you got left? <laughs> well, they can run on this because this is this, this is the next part, right? Like the, it's it's they try to put the Dobbs issue to bed by saying it's just back in states rights things, which, you know, it's that not my well fault. Every time. Right. It's not my fault that states rights have only been used for evil. Uh, <laughs> It's it's not my fault, but but it has, and I'll bring it up every single time. Uh, if it was up to the states, I wouldn't be able to own a home. Yeah. <laughs> if it was up to the states, I anyway. I live in Baltimore, and that's where redlining came from. Uh, so, uh, states, uh, yes, yeah. states. Uh, Good luck to all of us. I also then, don't think that this story has been getting enough attention. I have not oh, been it really hasn't seeing enough. Like I know so much about weather balloons this week but i don't mm. hear a lot about this that's true i didn't know until you told me about it yeah yeah i heard about it on uh the rewired no what's it called oh man it's a podcast that i listen to oh rewire does good work though They're they do very good uh abortion law um um you know they do a good job on that and um man i'm gonna look it up because it was a good time <laughs> it's a good one that's all good. All right. Are we ready to move on to our last piece of fucking news? Boom Lawyered. Oh, okay. Boom <laughs> Lawyered the is the okay. name of the podcast. I'm, oh, I'm, nice. Yes. Learning so much from you today. That was just a phrase, <laughs> exclamation, boom, lawyered. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, but that is, they're clever. Uh, yes, uh, at least I buzz marketed that. My job here is continuing. I'm gonna <laughs> definitely make that the the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so our last piece of fucking news. This is an interesting uh, just piece of science, and the way that science always works is we're just looking at a very tiny slice, so we can't extrapolate too far from this. But there are a couple researchers who've been looking into perceptions of people based on nipple visibility, <laughs> and mm. so the most recent study has to do with having subjects view images of women, it's specifically women so far, and their clothes, but they either have visible nipples, like you can see a little pokey outy, or they don't. And then what are people's perceptions of those women based on it? And what we found is that uh, men in general found- uh, Are trash. <laughs> I'm done, that's it. Men are trash, that's what it means. It means uh, in, in every way. That's the thing I loved about this article was that it really went out of its way to be like, no, 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 across all boards. If a man sees the nipples of a woman or the nipples of a person with prominent nipples, who whatever, is they think that they are more attractive. They think that they find themselves more attractive. They think that they are less, uh, they have no inhibitions when it comes to sex. They're open to sex. They're less smart. They're, they're, it's like, it's like really two dots. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's so, yeah. So men showed this huge reaction in terms of well, they found all the women less intelligent than the women subjects found the women. <laughs> That's also a fun just... fact, but the women also were judgmental too, which is not a surprise yeah. because we, we find that slut shaming and like, uh, that like sort of horophobic response of like, I need to, another woman's sexuality is somehow an indictment of me. Um, mm. So that happened a little bit that some women were like, if, if a woman had more visible nipples, they were less likely to want to bring her into their social circle. They were more likely to think that she was uh, going to cheat on a partner, uh, stuff like that. So it's like across the board, everybody sure. thinks visible nipples are a sign of promiscuity and mm-hmm. like. And dumbness. 
Yeah, and dumbness. <laughs> and dumbness. It's not that it's cold, it's that you're stupid. It's <laughs> lesson of the day. That's well, yeah, that sounds like me having to argue uh, over the thermostat at home. <laughs> okay, what it do you costs too much. It costs too much. <laughs> so then everyone's going to be like, but then our IQs will all go down. Right? <laughs> I can't concentrate with my nipples like this. <laughs> yeah, I have permanent Audi nipples. My nipples always look hard. So I always oh. take this stuff uh, personally. Uh, whatever. That's just a little bit about me. <laughs> well, yeah, they did. They specifically have not looked at men yet either. So that's no. the thing is, again, this is just a very narrow sliver. But yeah. I mean, I am not surprised at all. It's I mean, anything that's broken down on such a cellular level of this one variable of visible right. nipples. I mean, what I'm hoping that this is, I'm not hoping I just like trying to figure out what it is because it's nipple engorgement is involuntary for the most yeah. part, but you, you can buy things that will accentuate your nipples or make it look like you have pointy nipples, you know, underneath your clothes. But it, I think it's just like, people are scared of sexuality. They're scared of nudity. Absolutely. Um, that this just, you know, causes this objectification to happen in the, in the minds of men and among women there, there's still a lot of women who feel very challenged by you know, the idea of other women being perceived as sexy, that somehow that is like they are being measured against it. And I yeah. really wish that we could move past that. But I understand that we're overcoming thousands of years of socialization that says other women's beauty is somehow your problem and not right. just like an independent thing. And you're also beautiful and you can also be sexy and you can be sexy in whatever way you want. You can or not. Sexy. Yeah, or not. Or not. Like, yeah. You can have your visible nipples or have your covered nipples or whatever, and it doesn't actually affect you in any way. Right. Absolutely. That's the internalized sexism. I think that's the part that kind of struck with me the most because I think of the implication of like, you know, loss of friendships or things like that because people are thinking about other people's, you know, presentations is something that's indicative, kind of like what you were saying, you know, Temory. I I don't know. This it's not surprising, but it's just annoying as fuck. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> very self-conscious of my nipples right now. Oh, okay. and so like it's just very like going in and be like, oh, this is another thing I have to think about. Um, even though I don't care, but also it's like something to care about, if that makes sense. The value of it. Yeah. Just one more thing to be self-conscious about. Just one more thing. And I <laughs> I'm not gonna act like I'm holier than anybody. Uh I will spot a nipple from three miles away. Uh <laughs> I'm I'm nasty like that. I don't know what to tell you. And I'll see them and I will regard them. I'll be like, mm, look at them things. And then I know in my higher brain to move on. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong in, a, in noticing a nipple. The hell, I'll notice somebody's bulge in their pants. It's just a thing. It's a part of the body. And you know, you move on. Like... Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. the big thing is like it's okay if seeing a person in a neutral situation, a non-sexual situation, uh, arouses you. That's okay. The sure. thing is, is that you just have to be like, that's my internal reaction, and I don't have to make it their problem. It's exactly right. Yeah, it's like just, social skills training. Yeah. I feel like yeah. <laughs> just be a human being and just acknowledge something and not linger. Notice, but not linger. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, it's fine when I try, I've, you know, I've seen it tons of times. I grew up in, in New York City. So I've seen it tons of times when there's a child on the train and there's somebody that has like a keloid behind their ear or like on an arm and the child like looks to the mom and is like, what's wrong with that person? And the child and the mom is like, shut up, you know, uh, because the what the parent is doing is enforcing social <laughs> norms on the child. And I've never seen anybody who is being um, asked about uh, in public really take that to heart because it's a kid, right? But, um, you know, come to find out adults, some of them have never had a mom to say, shut the hell up. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're making things worse, you dummy. I, I wish it could be like an expansion of that because actually kind of what you're saying the same scenario there's a TED talk about you know how to have conversations with race and so I feel like a step further would be like maybe not necessarily shushing them but also kind of acknowledging be like hey you know people have this different people have different presentations right and it's okay and kind of moving forward you know I wonder if that also if that was being learned or taught widely that people wouldn't you know approach these things as such nervousness you know scared or you know mm -hmm. over sexualized if we just normalized it yeah it's, it's, I was uh, talking to this one comedian. I'll make this very short, but we were talking about movies, 
And he said that he left a screening of Watchmen uh, because there were too many penises in the movie for him. <laughs> too many? Too many penises. There was one. There was one. Well, mind you, there was one. It was blue and fluorescent. But the blue fluorescent penis haver was able to replicate himself. And it was part of the joke. So there were three penises. And he got up and left. This happened within the first 20 minutes of a three-hour movie. And when he said that, I was like, wait a minute, you left? He was like, yeah. He's like, I never watched it. I don't don't do that stuff. And I just was like, you do know that I have a penis, right? There's one right in front of you under my pants. Sometimes I don't even wear underwear. And I swear to you, this person put their hands in their ears and said, stop it. And, Aww. you know, in the interest of friendship, I've never, I've, I've only brought it up randomly. Uh, and one time it got brought up and he left. He was just like, you know what? I'm out. Aww. Aww. <laughs> it's like, it's in a way it's Bloody. so sad. Yeah. That's right? incredibly sad. Like what you're, a- you're letting your life be limited by the idea of penises. What the, what? <laughs> I was telling you like internalized homophobia, like that toxic masculinity stuff is the worst yeah and it's just sex negativity i think that's the thing it's just sex negativity it's the idea that like this is somehow bad or dirty or wrong and so i'm justified in being repulsed by it even you know or or it's it's everybody's problem that i have a problem with it because it is bad and dirty and wrong and you know we're preaching to the choir here i don't think many of our listeners think that penises (laughs) are bad and dirty and wrong it's the people who have the penises um typically bad dirty and wrong for plenty of reasons well on a bad dirty and wrong shall we head to our next regular segment yes Mm. all right so our next regular segment is fucking idiot fucking brilliant and the idea here is we talk about stuff that is in the world that is either like stupid and sad or awesome alternately (laughs) and this week for our fucking idiot this is not really like it's it's not stupid per se this is this is a more of a like damn it kind of situation um but mississippi has seen a 900 percent increase in infants needing to be treated for syphilis and that means that they're uh when they were before they were born the person who was pregnant had syphilis and it wasn't able to be treated. Maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't have access to medical care, but for whatever reason, when we say 900%, that's uh, that's because there there were like 109 cases, I think is what they had. Um, and it that is not nothing, especially since that's a very treatable situation and it's 2023. This yeah. is not, you know, the 1700s. Um, right. So it doesn't have to be thousands of children for this to be a completely tragic situation and it's and it's just speaking largely to lack of medical care lack of prenatal care uh mm-hmm. lack of concern for maternal health that kind and, of thing and a lack of education yeah, uh, yeah. mississippi is number 43 i just looked it up u.s mm-hmm. news and world report you know the 43rd best uh, nation uh, 43rd best state for education and uh you know, uh, so much of human history has been this battle for making people smarter. And when you don't know what's happening, if you don't know how babies are even made, you there's no way for you to be able to think about what to do to make sure that this baby has a fruitful life. And here it is plainly apparent that if you cannot teach people about how to have sex and what happens biologically and all of that stuff, that you are going to make it harder for future generations. And uh, in that light, uh, the legislators of Mississippi are dummies and they are, they are, they are seriously killing their children um, through ignorance. And that's a shame. And they should be shamed for that. (laughs) 
Patricia, as our uh, resident Southerner today, do you yeah. have thoughts? Yeah, I'm a resident Southerner. So uh, just to let folks know, I'm, I'm a Jersey girl. Uh, but I, <laughs> I love how I abandoned like, the same which I lived in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I, I, I've definitely lived in a bunch of different states. Um, I've lived in two red states since the last administration. Mm. Um, and so, you know, this doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. I mean, kind of the level of um, education you're saying in, in Mississippi, 43rd. I mean, in my head, I was thinking it was 49 or 50. I feel like right. it's among the lowest. Um, but yeah, I think it is an argument to what you're saying, Daryl, about you know the education and the nationalization of comprehensive sex ed. But I know that's not a conversation that especially states in the South want to have, right. um, because I think it's very, if there is any sex ed, it's um, abstinence only till marriage, you know, it's dirty. No, no, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to educate it. But people are going to have sex. People are going to get pregnant. Um, and so, yeah, it's just here 900 percent. It's just it's astonishing. You know. Right. It's like, this is a real problem because, like, again, syphilis is treatable. It's yeah. just not something that you just like, oh, no, it's a tragedy. And, and these things happen. No, it is a completely preventable thing. Like um, we could absolutely. Uh, get treatment for the folks who have syphilis, and then these these infants do not have to have these, uh, these serious side effects. Like they're painful things that are like yeah. visible on the body. That's usually how it's like diagnosed initially, but they can have uh, bone development problems. There's just like lifelong health issues. I mean, people can die from syphilis, and including one of the cases in Mississippi they were talking about is uh, you know an infant did die from this, and that is just a completely preventable tragedy. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this is. Again, it's not the 1700s right. where, you know, it was like, it's the humors and we have to, you know, let blood out of the bottom of their foot right. <laughs> like, to fix it. Like, we have medicine for this now. To quote the people who are frequently my rhetorical enemies, think of the children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Would you at least think of the kids and educate the parents who, are, who you're forcing to have these children? Educate them to make sure that the kids are healthy? Whatever. There's also the problem of like the the number of healthcare workers. Like a lot of people got roll burned out in the oh, last yeah. few years, and there's mm -hmm. just a lot of folks who are uh, not able to see a doctor for a lot of reasons. Like they don't have insurance, they don't have a clinic in their town. There's a lot of small towns that don't have doctors anymore. Like, yeah, this is this is a multifaceted problem. So um, I don't know that I, I don't think we're gonna solve this one. So I think. That is a good time to go to our final story, <laughs> which is our fucking brilliant story. And this one is uh, actually really, really uh, hope inspiring for me. So due to the amazing activism of sex workers rights groups in South Africa, the government is considering and open up to public comments uh, and, and it's moving towards decriminalization of sex work in that country. And that is huge because like we know that decriminalization over and over and over again leads to the best outcomes for people in sex work they're they're able to seek help if anybody assaults them or, or robs them um that they are less likely to face that violence in the first place um and all of the the health and wellness outcomes are improved versus either a criminalization model or even a legalization model where they have to be registered and they're facing um like a, a ton of stigma it's also better to have decriminalization for both the sex worker and also the person uh who is the the client uh, mm -hmm. because we see in that model where only the sex worker being decriminalized is not actually a better outcome there's often more violence because if you're already doing something illegal you might as well go all the way in if you right. are um a sadistic asshole <laughs> so. and and like just the criminalization brings in an underworld element mm -hmm. and and uh, sorry, but uh, the underworld is typically not a bastion for human rights. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. this is this is great news. And it's awesome. Yeah, could, we we can we have lots of data to point to in the countries where it is illegal in the countries where only the selling is decriminalized and where it is completely like like this is what the uh, the researchers have been advocating for this is what activists are advocating for uh to make it very clear sex work is a different thing than sex trafficking we talk about this all the time but just to clarify 
that like sex work is people who are doing this labor of their own volition to the degree that all of us choose to work <laughs> but like <laughs> they have chosen this uh as opposed to other means of making money so mm-hmm. just always have to drive that home yeah Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy about this. You know, I'm thinking South Africa, you know, I kind of would be like America, look, you know, but right. I don't think, I think we're, we're probably a long way from that. Um, but I mean, I appreciate it as, as someone that is definitely trying to incorporate pro-sex work in my clinical practice as a social worker, you know, I think part of social justice, if we're talking about social justice, that is inclusive of sex work as well. Yeah. And yeah, the thing we talk yeah. about on the show a lot is that like every job is selling yourself to some degree, right? Like you're selling your physical labor, you're selling your emotional energy, you're selling your your time, um, whatever. And we just need to be more pro labor in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, uh, a lot of uh, it's, uh, I guess this is kind of germane, but like a a lot of what happens in America um, gets propagated to other parts of the world through uh, NGOs and such. And so when these people are defeated here, they tend to take it to other places uh, to try to drum up an international response. So a lot of the anti-LGBTQ ideas, a lot of the anti-sex work ideas tend to come from, uh, you know, richer countries and pushed into other places. So it's always nice when you see people, one, self-governing and two, doing it correctly as, and not just correctly because it's my opinion, correctly because the experts in the field have said that this is the best way to move forward with the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations. I mean, we're a little bit premature because I don't think it's actually happened yet, but at least it is brilliant that it's moving in this direction and like everybody can take note because that will be, um, that'll be better health outcomes. That'll be reduction of violence. That is all, all of the things. Congrats yeah, to all the activists who have been pushing to make this possible. Yeah, yep. looking to see the impact of that, like you were saying, like what's going to happen in the future because we're going to see it. And hopefully, again, more data, but, we'll, you know, <laughs> how often are, are things informed by data? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Every once in a while. I don't know. It happens. All right. On on that note, uh, we are, we're coming up to the end of our time. So, Patricia, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get your book? Yeah. Um, thank you. So, so yeah, so my debut novel, it's called Simply Platonish. Um, and so it's kind of like a coming age story, um, takes place at a primary white institution. Um, and it dives deeper into like the spectrum of different, um, platonic relationships. It focuses on, uh, college woman of color, um, how she's, and how she's hoping to maintain connections with, um, her two white friends as they slowly become a couple. Um, and through that exploration, you know, um, hopefully can challenge people's preconceptions of what they think a relationship is, how they define it, or even just the concept of attraction. So like, you know, existing outside or in between that. Um, so that is through Black Gold Publishing. Um, and that is going on pre-sale Monday, February 20th. Um, nice. And the uh, official release date is March 24th. Um, so go to Black Publishing, BlackGoldPublishing.com um, for more details. Um, and following me, um, yeah, MediaCriticChic.com um, is my sexuality and mental health blog. Um, it's also a podcast on you know major platforms. Um, follow us on Facebook at Media Critique Chic and YouTube channel at Borderline Latina. Hmm, switch. <laughs> my alter ego we are familiar with the the, the multiple personas over here <laughs> right so, yeah We're, yeah so thank you so much thank you for coming on any other uh things that we should keep posted about things on the horizon other stuff that you have percolating yeah um so yeah so actually um i am going to be presenting at the asec conference this year <laughs> in san francisco so this is my first time attending and presenting and i love that i'm announcing this on this podcast um because it's decolonizing mental health and sexuality through a reverent comedy 
Um, wow. So yes, I am a huge and have been a huge fan of stand-up. And so I'm looking at it through the lens of race and sexuality. And I'm going to be exploring kind of definitely folks of color, particularly black comics and how they use the space of, you know, comedy clubs like Fat Tuesdays um, and Chocolate Sundays as they use a space of healing and processing information and also social justice. So I'm so excited. Um, and that's going to be in the second weekend of June um, in San Francisco. Oh, that's awesome. I have a good time. San Francisco is like one of my favorite cities in the world. Just, oh, it's 70 degrees every day. Yeah, I can't wait. I've never been. I've never been to California. So, yeah. Oh, Mm. the ASAC conference is also fun because it's like during the day, it's all the nerd shit. But like those parties get real. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) San Francisco is known as a great city for partying and enjoying yourself and Oh, I've I've frolicked. He's filling with compersion now for you. Yes. Yeah, I can see it. I I'm was so just happy like, for you. It's yeah. you can it's just uh every day is like you might need a jacket, which is <laughs> like the per, like a sweaty person like me that is perfect t-shirt weather. Anyway. <laughs> We're so thank excited you. for you. Thank you, thank you all. I'm excited too. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. All right, well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for diving into all these light stories with us. I love it. I mean, I'm here for it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, Oh, Daryl, we, us too. That's also true. Yes. (laughs) Promote yourselves. Yes. Right. Um, Yeah. More about you. With me? Uh, yeah, you can go to DarylComedy.com uh, to see about me and my album, uh, Black Gentrifier, uh, which is available everywhere and has been. Um, I will be uh, on the 24th of February, which is probably passed by this time. Uh, yeah, you, I'll be at uh, the Lou Room in Baltimore on a show called Ghosted on uh, March 4th. I will be uh, at Helium Comedy Club hosting the graduation showcase for my stand-up 160 class, which is a class on how to use uh, improv in your stand-up comedy. Uh, new classes are starting uh, March 26th. So if that's a thing you'd like to do, it's in person, uh, come through uh, and judge me based on these new graduates, right? And then uh, take the class because I need money and it's fun <laughs> and it's fun. And it's fun. Dr. Timory, where can the people find you? You can find all of my events and you can also also find links to all the articles that we discussed here and other news and stuff at Dr. Timory. That's D-R-T-I-M-A-R-E, drtimory.com. And you can also find the links to all my upcoming events and shows, including a lot of burlesque. We have Get You a Babe, We Can Do Both, headed down to Richmond, Virginia in... uh, uh, March. So if you are in the RVA area, you can get your tickets for that now. Um, we also have one coming to Philly in April. So uh, that is the show that combines TED Talks and Burlesque by the same people. It's a good time, especially for folks who listen to this kind of thing. You'd probably be right up your alley. Mm-hmm. So all of that is on drtimory.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Timbalingling, T I M B A. Ling, ling. (laughs) (laughs) So all of that. Uh, And uh, the DTF page on Facebook where we also post this stuff too. So Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. So we have an extra piece of bonus content. It is a regular DTF segment, but this is bonus content for you today. Of course. Uh, We would never forget you. Uh, We were never going to do this without it. We're here to help. And... We're here to help. Uh, Today, the day that we are recording is President's Day. The most solemn of holidays where some people still work. And I I think children are off of school. Um, Never do anything particularly presidential for Presidential Day. We should make like a a tradition, like we go to the Cheesecake Factory or something. Right. You know what I mean? Um, But here's what we're doing. And you know what? Maybe this is a DTF tradition. Uh, I'm going to give a nice little list of uh, my top three sexiest presidents. Yay! And uh, by sexiest, of course, I mean uh, sexual scandals that will change the way you think of these people. Oh, I'm so excited. 
Yeah, and we're not even going for like the big ones, like the ones that you know about. I decided to dig a little deeper. So Ooh. I'm going to start with uh, number three, Lyndon B. Johnson. Ooh. The lovely Lyndon B. Johnson, the president directly after JFK, who you thought might have been on this list, but he ain't. Uh, while he was, uh, you know, uh, he's famous for allegedly having an affair with Marilyn Monroe, uh, the the actual research shows that they probably did not have a big, big affair. There were a couple people who said that they knew of him on the phone. Um, obviously, there's the happy birthday, Mr. President thing. And the Kennedys are uh, an American institution um, tied in with all kinds of crimes and terrible things. Uh, but Lyndon B. Johnson uh, was directly after him and was an absolute monster uh he he uh and knew it and was proud of it uh he was noted to say that he had accidental sex with more women than jfk ever had on purpose this was after the man was dead uh he was politically known as a bully and it turned out that that also had to do with his carnal encounters while in congress johnson was reported to have pulled his penis out to show others in the capitol bathroom shortly before going on to discuss legislation. Get you a president that can do both. Yeah, no, so he's an interesting one because I went to the LB, uh, LBJ uh, library and that guy actually has an incredible amount of accomplishments. Like sure? really, really huge ones, like in terms of civil rights and like education in America. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he definitely was a weird dude. And he was like yeah. showing off his scars and he just like had no problem with like being a president who pulled off his shirt. <laughs> that exactly. And and pulled out his dick, which he nicknamed Jumbo. All right. He was a man who was proud of his package. Yeah. Uh, he was also known to grope female staffers oh. and make frequent sexist comments. Uh, the I'm author. Sure. Right, the author I'm Eleanor. Hmm? <laughs> I'm surprised a man from the South who rose to prominence in the 1960s <laughs> right. was a misogynist. What? Yeah. How Nuts. could that be? Yes, uh, uh, Ele the author Eleanor Herman once said that uh, he said that he hired women with uh, tight and good behinds so he could enjoy their rear ends as they left his office. Okay. Yeah, like, I mean, this all tracks. None of right. this is like shocking. But the other thing is like he was totally down with it and did not see this as a problem, which is, you know, it was a different time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, he, he made some pretty significant cultural changes, but none of them were really for women. Right. <laughs> so, right. That wasn't really his bag yet. Cool. So uh, number two, Grover Cleveland. Wow. Yeah, we're taking it back. 1884. Uh, he actually had a, a bit of a dust up uh, during his presidential campaign when a woman uh, uh, named Maria Halpin uh, was uh, reported as uh, having his child out of wedlock. Uh, it was such a dust up that uh, people were known to chant Ma, Ma, where's my pa at his campaign speeches. Uh, Halpin, in interviews, implied that Cleveland was forceful and violent in their encounter oh. and that he threatened to ruin her if she went to the authorities. Damn. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was going to just be like a John Edwards thing, you know? Oh, like, no. They're just like banging somebody on the side. But no, that doesn't sound... That doesn't oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Powerful people having extramarital sex? Look, uh... We just need, you know, like you say all the time, polyamory would have fixed uh, the plot of every movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just liking uh, orgasms is not enough to get you on this list. You got to be a jerk, baby. Mm, okay. uh, uh, Cleveland side of the story was that she slept with a lot of people in a circle, and because he was the only unmarried one, he claimed the baby. So, you know, the old she's for the streets defense. Quite a jerk. I definitely didn't vote for him. Right. Yeah. You know, but, you know, uh, he won the presidency. And when people would uh, claim, Ma, Ma, where's my pa? Uh, his supporters would uh, respond uh, in the White House. I mean, that's a good retort. They're bad people, but that's a good retort. Hey, you know what I mean? But at least, you know, call and response. It's important. Uh, mm -hmm. 
And then number one, I mean, this isn't news to me, but hey, it might be to you, of course. Uh, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. (laughs) Founding father, diplomat, lawyer, architect, philosopher, and slave rapist. Yes. Uh, First reported in 1802 by the journalist James Callender. An enslaved person named Sally Hemings was repeatedly raped and internationally so. Uh, from the age of 14 onward. Uh, yeah. yeah no, uh, and that one's an interesting one, too, because then he ended up like, I don't know, like, it's so impossible for us to, like, understand what it was like for her in that context, right? Totally. But, like, she she made the decision to then, like, basically, like, merge into his family for the mm-hmm. outcomes of her kids, right? Because yes. like, if she stayed with him, then her kids would be taken care of. And, like, otherwise, like, she's out on her own and, like, that right. would have been daunting. So right. like, it's interesting because people will be like, well, she, you know, it's consensual and she made the choice and, and he had her come on over to um, live with him, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, yeah, to the degree that like she could consent to anything. Right. Well, the funny thing is that uh, apparently their romance, <laughs> I'm uh, uh, violently uh, lying about romance, um, uh, started in France where she was a free woman. It was slavery was outlawed in France. But she chose to go back to the United States where she was no longer where she was not free. um, So that her children would be freed when they turned 21, which was apparently the promise that that Jefferson had made. And he apparently he kept good on that promise, uh, letting them be become free people after 21. But he never freed her. She was ultimately freed by his daughter. Uh, after his death in 1826. What a guy. What a guy. Uh, and um, um, my favorite piece of Jefferson factoids, and this is how I love ending every conversation I have with people about the race problem in America, uh, because I'm tired. Uh, and it's a great way to end the conversation. Um, Frederick Douglass and Thomas Jefferson were very, uh, they were known to write to each other back in those days. And what they wrote about was the freedom of people and how that looks for America to call itself the land of the free and the home of the brave and still have enslaved persons. And Jefferson uh, was reported to understand that it's a very hypocritic hypocritic thing for uh, people to say. And then uh, after that conversation, he still did what he did. Mm -hmm. So the problem is not on me uh or anyone that looks like me to fix it right it's on the people in power and that's how i like to end all those conversations and you know what happens those people never come back to me which is nice uh <laughs> which is which bye-bye. is nice bye-bye yeah take that with you um so glad you just learned this here's some new information please do with that what you will hopefully at thanksgiving well you have all these months to prepare Right? Because <laughs> it's President's Day when we're recording this. Right? So maybe 4th of July. Maybe that'll be when it comes up next. Because I feel like that's when we tend to talk about him. So. True. Yeah. A great so, man who could rap, apparently. I have no idea. I saw Hamilton once. Jefferson's in it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't okay. know. I, I saw it once. It okay. was fine. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see it. Yeah. So you've been helped. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for accepting our help. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we'll see you on the next episode coming approximately whenever we record it. Yes. (laughs) For that and also uh, the hopeful return of our live show. We are at bare minimum going to be in a upcoming festival. So we will be posting all about that and we would love to see you there. So. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, bye-bye. What? And you ain't hanging with the team if you ain't down to fuck.